Hello, friends. I'm Luke, and I serve on the music team at Holy Family. We continue to hear stories from people like you who listen to the Holy Family podcast and consider Holy Family your church. And whether you're someone who's constantly on the go, hasn't found a church community where you live to which you can belong, or someone who's wondering about the shape of your faith, we are honored to be with you by sharing these reflections from our Sunday liturgies. We rely on the generosity of our congregation, which includes you wherever you listen, to help our ministry achieve and maintain financial health. If this podcast has been a gift to you, would you consider making a contribution so that we can continue offering resources that welcome questions, curiosities, and doubts? You can make a gift by following the link in our show notes. That's at holyfamilyhtx.org. From Holy Family HTX, an Episcopal church for people without a church, this is the Holy Family Podcast, a collection of ideas about leading a Jesus-centered life. We clearly explore the church's understandings while bringing our own questions, curiosities, and doubts, and we never demand fake agreement. Theological exploration is just better that way. So, let's take a moment of silence as we get ready to contemplate today's ideas. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and if you have read the gospel according to St. Luke, at this point, if it says he's going to Jerusalem, it means he's on his way to his death. And he arrives at a town somewhere between Galilee and Samaria, and he comes upon 10 people with skin diseases. I wonder if you have ever found yourself in between a border between two places. These people have been left for dead and they have been kicked out of town. They've been banished, told you don't belong here anymore. Go. And they've been sent out away from the community that they loved, away from the community that they called home, away from the community that held so many of their memories, and they were told to go. And so they went, waiting for their death. Condemned, outcast, rejected. Now, they don't know it, or maybe they do, based off of their cry for mercy, but these are Jesus's people. And I don't know why you showed up today at an inconvenient hour on a Sunday morning when this is about as good as weather gets in Houston. And yet, here you are. And so maybe you too have come looking for mercy. Maybe today you feel a bit outcast or rejected or just like at this point in your life, the community that you thought you had just doesn't fit you anymore or you don't fit them or you find yourself looking for something else in between 
You ever felt in between? Neither here nor there. Neither where you were, but not quite where you want to be either. Just here. Well, maybe you don't know it or maybe you do because you're here, but you are Jesus' kind of people. If you've ever felt abandoned by your friends or your family or your community, Jesus Christ is coming for you. Now, one of these people is actually a Samaritan in the story. Uh, Normally, these nine others would not have associated with this one Samaritan. They were enemies. And yet, when you have something like a skin disease, someone calls you something like a leper, well, that becomes a more determinative identity for you. And you are forced to forge a new community with others who have also been given that new determinative identity. And you find both of you no longer being able to belong to the space and the community that you once belonged to, and you have this new identity. And Jesus Christ is always forging strange, peculiar friendships. So here comes Jesus. And they cry out, Jesus, have mercy on us. And so he tells them to go to the priests and you will be healed. That's it. No hocus pocus, no spitting on ground. Just kind of, okay, go on. Go show yourself to the priests. And on the way, they discover that they are healed. I wonder if you have ever found yourself on a journey and realizing that the healing had already come as a pure gift, as a grace. Or maybe you find yourself aware of your healing and trying to figure out what to do with it now. That's one of the weird things that we don't talk about a lot. Once you, whatever kind of healing it is that you need, once you receive it, it's kind of like, oh, now what? Like, this is what I said I wanted, and this is good, and it's cool, and I like it, and I'm grateful for it, but I don't quite know that I actually ever thought about how to imagine this new reality of enjoying what it is to experience this healing. Well, nine of them in the story just, I don't really know what they do. One of them comes back. One of them thanks Jesus. It's the Samaritan. It's the one who at one point in time was an outsider. It's the one who on paper was supposed to be enemies with the others. That one comes back. And if you look under the hood into the Greek word that is used here, it says that this person comes back and thanks Jesus. That word thanks is Eucharist. 
This one comes back and Eucharists Jesus. The word Eucharist means thanksgiving. I wonder if you've ever found yourself so overwhelmed that you didn't even try to come up with a thanks. It just came out of you. Have you ever been that grateful? Have you ever been so filled with gratitude that it's not even a conscious response? It just erupts from you. This is the kind of Eucharist that this person is giving to Jesus. Moved with gratitude. And if you are here today for the first time or for the first time in a long time, what we do here is called the Eucharist. The whole service from 1030 to 1130 is the Eucharist. We hold space together as a community every week for us to give thanks. And when we come to the altar, we call it the great thanksgiving. I wonder if you've ever noticed on the places, the margins where your thumbs go in your bulletin, we put little words on the side. That's because we're signaling to you the five different moves in our Eucharist. And I want to raise your level of consciousness to those today because that's what it actually means to make a Eucharist. Every Sunday when you come here, like there's different ways to do it, right? Like I get that. So there's Sundays where I show up and it's like, okay, I'm going to do the thing today. Um, and I'm just glad to be here. I'm going to fill up my third coffee and, you know, the people will be good and we'll do whatever it is that we do. And yet, if you raise your own level of consciousness to it, you're able to participate in a more deep form of gratitude. And the kind of pattern that our Eucharist takes begins with a gathering. That doesn't just really happen at 1030 when you walk in the door. It actually happens when you left your home. And yes, the people walk up and process and they carry the cross and they light the candles, but that is the end of the procession that began when you left your townhome or your apartment or your house and came here today. The first part of gratitude, of giving thanksgiving to God in our community is actually gathering with other people and discovering that you have been gathered by other people. I mean, take a look around. You have been gathered together. You do not have to carry life alone. That is the first component of how we make a thanksgiving together as a community. Yes, it looks like we come as individuals, but we discover that God has given us an us a community in which we can be thankful together. And what I know about that is that some days we as individuals walk in and we really have had an amazing week. Work's going great. Family's going great. Personal is going great. Then there's other weeks where it's just like, not <laughs> at all. And there's everyone in between. 
And the gift of community is that you can give thanks for what God is doing in our community in spite of individual circumstances. I can celebrate with you. I can love you. I can give you, you know, <laughs> strength when you need it. You give me wisdom when I need it. And together we discover that part of giving thanks to God in a Eucharist is that we are not individuals, but that we have been brought together. The second component of our thanksgiving to God is that we listen for God's word. We do that in this liturgy through scriptures and listening to sermons and things like that. But in your whole life, if you're going to make your whole life a Eucharist and you gather with other people, you're making space in your life to listen to God's voice. Through the scriptures, through the homilies, but through this community. I mean, who among us have not had someone just say that one sentence or that one text message or that one, hey, real quick, before you go, that one little moment that somebody took to speak something to us that just seemed to make all the difference. We listen for God's voice in and through this community speaking to us. And then we stand up and we get around the waters of baptism and we respond. Because part of giving thanks is not just listening for God's voice, but it is responding. Responding in prayer. Are you making time in your life, in your communities, to actually hold space to respond to what it is that you think God is doing in your life. I'll confess to you that most of the time I just kind of blitz to the next thing. People ask me, hey, how was your week? I'm like, I think it was fine. I don't know. It's in the past. I would literally have to pull up my calendar to tell you what I did this last week. I don't know. Like, I know what I'm doing today. And I will look at my calendar tomorrow and I'll figure out what I'm doing. Like, it's just, I'm on to the next thing always. How about you? Well, that's fine. And it doesn't hurt to take a moment to pause and listen and respond. That's why after every homily, we just hold a time of silence. It's like, you know, it's like when you're a drummer, it's not just constantly beating the drum. It's the times in between. Then we get together around the waters and we respond in prayer. That's what it means to make a Eucharist out of your whole life. Taking those little moments to reflect and respond and say a prayer to God. And after you've responded, we come to the table. And that's where we discover that God has given us God's whole self in Jesus Christ. And all of us gets to be brought to this table and we receive all that God is back. God has given us God's whole self. And we receive communion. Now, how do you make that something that you do in your whole life outside of this room? Well, 
if you raise your level of consciousness, what you discover is that every table is an extension of this altar. Every little cafe table that you sit at, every break room table, every dining room table, every table at a restaurant becomes another opportunity in which we can extend the great thanksgiving into our world. When you sit at a table this week, it's not just snagging a meal. It's not just scarfing food down so you can get on to your next thing. It itself is an embodiment of this altar, this table where there is always more than enough and you discover a sense of gratitude because God has given us everything that we need in Jesus Christ. And then at the end of our Eucharist, the fifth, after we have gathered, after we have listened, after we have responded, after we have come to the table, there is ascending. We don't just say, okay, that's it, have a good week. We don't just ring the bell and have a recess. There's ascending to go be the body of Christ. We have consumed the body of Christ. William Cavanaugh puts it this way. In consuming the body of Christ, we are transformed into the body of Christ. We consume the Eucharist, but we are consumed by God. St. Augustine says, you are what you eat. Become the body of Christ to go be the body of Christ in the world. And the Eucharist always ends with ascending both in this service, in the story today, Jesus says, get up and go. That's where this Eucharist ends as well. And that too becomes a way of making a Eucharist out of your whole life. What would happen if you just began to, I mean, just start with a pretend, okay? It's fine to pretend and like work your way into it. Just pretend that every room you get walk into this week, you've been sent there by God to love the people in that room, to serve the people in that room. I mean, I just wonder what would happen to your life if you just, for a moment, pretended even that I didn't just show up here or had to be here or was scheduled to be here or forced to be here, but actually I was sent here to love and be loved by the people that I just encountered. That's how you make a Eucharist out of your whole life. Johann von Paris puts it this way, the ultimate test of a Christian community's liturgical life or worship life, or the ultimate test of what we do from 10.30 to 11.30 on a Sunday morning is whether it changes lives. Does our liturgy call us to be one with the poor, to share our tables with the hungry, to visit the sick, to embrace the dying? If so, then we'll actually become like Christ. And our liturgies won't matter about the style. It'll end up becoming a way that we pattern our whole lives. Von Paris goes on to say that in the end, if the liturgy does not change us to become more like Christ, then it is nothing but ritual fits 
and follies. We come here to give thanks to God for all of the ways that Jesus Christ has shown mercy to us. But it's not just a moment of thanks. This Eucharist is actually meant to shape our whole life. You can make a Eucharist out of your whole life, gathering with others, listening for what God is saying and doing, making space to respond, transforming every table into an opportunity for hospitality and inclusion and experiencing the presence of God and ultimately viewing your life as being sent by God, not just to happen to life or make it through life, but to go being sent by God to love others and show them how to make a great thanksgiving out of their life. You can find more resources to help you lead a Jesus-centered life at holyfamilyhtx.org. Again, it's holyfamilyhtx.org.